Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, let me give you a snapshot of where we are going over the next couple of months. Uh, we are starting a new series on prayer today. It's going to be a three-week-long series. Um, and then... Uh, it's going to be awesome. I'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, but then uh, the first week of February, like uh, Katie mentioned, we're going to do a grand opening. We're going to, uh, I don't know what it is, but there's something about grand openings that people tend to want to come to and, and check out. And so we're going to send out some mailers. We're going to do some Facebook advertising and uh, we're going to do everything. We're going to invite our friends and family members, whatever we can do to invite them to come check out the building. The building is just a tool, right? Say it with me. The building is just a tool. Thank you. It's a tool. It's a ministry tool, right? And so we're going to take advantage of that. We're going to invite people, and we're going to do a, a quick um, kind of a, kind of an outreachy uh, sort of series throughout the month of February. Then starting in March, we're doing this thing we've been planning for the last, I don't know, eight, eight or nine months. Uh, we're going to do an all-church sort of uh, series through the book of Luke, and we're going to try and encourage everybody. We're, we're, we're writing our own curriculum, so there's a, a daily um, reading. We're trying to get us all to read through the book of Luke together. We're going to preach on Luke uh, on on the weekends. We're going to have growth groups are going to be on Luke. Our kids and youth, guess what they're going to be talking about? Luke, right? I mean, it's, it's the whole idea of saying, what if we took the six weeks? What if we took 40 days leading up to Easter and we all sort of prepared our hearts for Easter and we all, all sort of took a step in our own spiritual growth to read through the book of Luke together, to go deeper, check out this Jesus guy, get to know who he is and start, you know, and, and really uh, draw near to him in those six weeks. I think it's going to be a transformational deal. Uh, it's the first time we've ever done something like this in the life of our church. I'm super stoked. I think it's going to be awesome. So you're going to definitely want to be a part of that it's going to be kind of like I said an all church push our our church downtown and our church in Sunnyland are all going to, we're going to be doing it together so uh, love it you're going to want to be a part of that and then that will lead up to Easter which is another natural time where we sort of reach out and we will we're, we're hoping to do sort of a double bump thing this year right a grand opening and then at Easter again we'll do a, a kind of an outreach push uh, and that's going to lead us into a series uh, called Unchained which is going to be very fun as we talk about freedom in Christ and so looking forward to I think it's going to be a great ride I think you're going to want to be a part. A couple ways uh, that we're going to encourage you just to, to fully participate. Three ways. Um, the first one is just make sure, be here, right? Like make sure you're here. I, I'm super excited about what God's going to do in us and through us as we kind of step into this new chapter in the life of our church. Uh, but we just encourage you to, to do what you have to do to be here and uh, to fully participate. Come prayed up, come with an open heart, come ready and expectant to meet with God and to hear from God and to, uh, to grow and to, to take your faith kind of the next level into 2017. Secondly, we're just asking, would, would you be praying? I mean, this is a significant uh, kind of season in the life of our church as we're, we're doing some outreach stuff, as we're sending mailers, we're inviting people, all this stuff. Would you pray? Would you pray that God would give us favor uh, with people, particularly people that are uh, not in any in any church this weekend, people that maybe are far from God, and uh, just just pray that God would, would give us divine connections, all of us, divine connections with people when we're out in the community during the week that, that, uh, that God might bring in a, a harvest, right? That God might bring people into the kingdom, might bring people to Jesus. And so be praying for that. Be praying for the church in this season. Just be praying for, uh, uh, yeah, for those that will receive the mailers, all that kind of stuff. Pray that uh, God would use it in powerful ways. And the third thing is just make sure you invite people. Uh, I've, I've shared this before, but I mean, uh, the reason that people come to church, the reason that people end up coming to Christ is very rarely because they get a postcard in the mail. Occasionally that happens, but uh, they usually say the return rate on, on a postcard or something like that is maybe half a percent. 
maybe, right? Sometimes it's one half of 1%, depends on the stat that you look at, of people will come. That's worth it. You get some people that are hungry that will come, and God, God uses that. But versus uh, about, about 60 to 75% of Americans say they'd come to church if a friend invited them. And so way more effective. The reason that people come is because you invite them. And so, so would you be praying about and thinking about as we're going through these next couple of months, who is it, God, that, uh, that you have uh, me in their sphere of influence that I could reach out to them, that I could encourage them, that I could invite them to church and, and more importantly be praying that, uh, that, that maybe they come and open up their heart and life to Christ and, and just experience uh, like the lights go on for the first time. I mean... What cooler thing could we do, right, than to, to be a part of that? We've got, um, for now, we've got like some little business-sized uh, in- invitation cards that are on the welcome table when you come in. Grab a couple of those on your way out today and just be praying and thinking about, God, who would you have um, have me invite uh, during this season? So that's where we're going over the next few months. It's going to be a great ride. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. Today, we're starting out a new series called Dangerous Prayers. And I totally got the idea from a pastor and author named Craig Grishel. I read through it maybe six months ago. I read through this series uh, that he had done. And I was like, oh man, I think this would fit perfectly in this era for us. And so uh, I, I stole the idea from him. But of course, uh, materials, uh, my own different stuff. But give credit where credit's due. But I thought it would be a, a, a sweet thing to, to follow last week's message as we talked about growing in the new year and sort of taking some next steps in our own walk and relationship with Jesus. And then uh, also thought it'd be a great preparation for uh, what God has ahead for us as well. It's been challenging for me this week as I've been preparing, and I bet it will be for you too, because so much of the time, I was uh, when you think about how we pray and what we pray for, I think... Uh, I'm going to go on record and say, I think my prayers and maybe yours too are so lame so much of the time. Uh, They're so safe and they're such small kinds of prayers. We pray things like, God, would you give us safety? Would you keep us safe? And we pray things like, God, would you give us a good day? Would you bless us? Would you keep us safety, you know, give us safety as we travel? Would you help us to get that promotion and make more money at work? God, would you help us to get an A on that test that I didn't study for or whatever, right? All those kinds of things. And they are fine prayers. Those are good prayers. God loves it when we come to him, right? He, he delights when his kids come and uh, come to him with all kinds of prayers and requests. But I just wonder, so if God were to answer all of the prayers that we prayed in the last month, you think it would make a difference, right? Do you think it would really impact uh, your life? Do you think it would really impact the lives of those around you? Do you think, do you think it would be noticeable if God said, I'm going to give you a hundred percent of what you ask for, of what you've asked for over the last month? What do you think that would look like? Do you think there would be a difference in, let's say, poverty in the area? Do you think that human trafficking would be wiped out? Do you think uh, right, the city would be experiencing revival, would be experiencing more of the, the life that God has for them? Do you think it would be visible? Do you think even in your, or, your, your own life, do you think it would be seen? Like, could we tell the difference? Or would your life just be a little bit easier than it has been? A little bit simpler, a little bit safer? And if so, does that really matter in the grand scope of things. I think so often if God gave us the things we prayed for, we wouldn't grow. If God gave us the things we asked for, it might be safe, but chances are we wouldn't seek God. If God gave us the things we asked for, our life would just be, and our faith would just be static and stale and old. And I just think, man, God's got 
better stuff in store for us than that, doesn't he? He's got better stuff in store. It reminds me of a story that I... uh, I read one time from Erwin McManus, who tells a true story about a, a conversation he had with his son. His son had been to summer camp and uh, came home, and for the couple of weeks after that, this kid was having nightmares. And so one night, super late, he, uh, he yells out for his dad. This kid yells out for his dad, Erwin, to come into his room. He says, Dad, Dad! And so he comes in, and uh, he'd had a nightmare, and so he was freaking out. He'd been to this church camp, and, uh, and the kids had told him demon stories, right? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't tell ghost stories because there's no such thing as so they told him stories about demons and it scared the crap out of this kid, right? He was terrified. And so he'd been having these recurring nightmares. And so Erwin came in and he said to his dad, he said, dad, would you pray that God would take away the dreams that he would never make me afraid again, that he would protect me and that God would keep me safe all the time. And uh, McManus's response is, he says, no, I won't pray that for you. He says, I'm not going to pray that because it is often those times when we feel afraid or alone or we don't know what to do. It's often then that we learn to grow and we really learn to depend on God. He said, instead, I'm going to pray that God would make you dangerous. He says, I'm I'm not going to pray for your comfort. I'm going to pray that you become so dangerous that when you walk into a room, demons flee. And he says, then pray that I'd be really dangerous, <laughs> right? And I just think for three weeks, I want us to sort of zero in on some dangerous prayers from the Bible. Sometimes even unsafe kinds of prayers, but prayers that really move the heart of God, prayers that bring about transformation in us and transformation in the world. Prayers that lead us out of our comfort zones, but lead us closer to God. Prayers that will help, that will help our faith really come alive in 2017. And the challenge, the application uh, that we're going to give every week is going to be pretty simplistic. It's going to be pretty simple. It's going to be this. Would you take the prayer that we've talked about, the dangerous prayer, and would you pray it? Right? Would you pray it every day of the week? Would you pray it and sort of open your heart and be responsive to what God says or does through, as you pray that prayer? Fair enough? So that's kind of where we're going. Today I want us to start out uh, by looking at Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's pretty great. We're going to zero in on the two verses at the end. But this is a psalm that's written by David. It's written, uh, and he kind of prays this prayer as his enemies are pursuing him, they're attacking him, and they are accusing him and his motive of, of having wrong motives. And instead of defending himself, instead of sort of lashing out at them, instead of getting on Facebook and trash-talking them, right, or anything like that, he prays this prayer. And the, the prayer is really this. He asks God to search his heart, and this is what he says. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He prays this, search my heart, God, or search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me read that one more time. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's kind of four stanzas there, and I just want us to kind of zero in and look at this dangerous prayer and why it is actually dangerous in the first place. So he starts out just by saying, search me, right? Search me, God, and know my heart. It's just kind of the the initial point. It's sort of inviting God's gaze to penetrate through him, to penetrate through us, to shine a light on our souls, our minds, our whole being. Anytime you see the word heart, uh, especially in the Old Testament, but really throughout the Bible, as Americans, we tend to think about what? 
heart, you think of what? Love, you think of emotion, you think but specifically of love. In, in the Jewish mindset, the, the author would have had a different sort of interpretation, a different picture. It's not just talking about the emotions. In, in the Bible, when you, when you read the word heart, in fact, it's literally the bowels, the guts, right, is, is what, what it really means. But it's a, it's a picture of all of your being. It's not, yes, it involves your emotions, but it's not just your emotions. It also involves your mind. It involves your will, your volition, right? And it involves involves your soul or kind of all that you are, you know, kind of your connection, your spirit, your connection with God. So it's, it's sort of a holistic being, a holistic um, phrase. Just say, God, would you search all of me? Would you search every part, my motives? Would you search my mind? Would you search my heart? Would you root even my, my relationship with you? How am I doing? Would you, would you turn your gaze on me and search me? Now you read that and you think, well, that doesn't sound so dangerous. What's so dangerous? I mean, what's the big deal about that? But can, can I just be honest here? And I just think, man, to pray this kind of prayer is so vulnerable. And it's vulnerable because we can talk a good game to everybody else. We can put on the happy face, can't we? We can be like, oh, man, I got my stuff together. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, like, I, I got this. We can fool the people that are around us sometimes. But you think God can't see our heart? You, you think God can't see our, our, what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our lives? God knows all. We sing a song about Santa Claus, right? It says, he knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're, he knows if you've been. If we sing that about Santa, can I just say how much more the living God who is ever present, who he's everywhere, who knows all, who sees all. Now, I'm not trying to unduly scare anybody, but it's true, right? It's, it, that is a, it's sort of a gutsy prayer to say, God, would you turn your gaze on me and search me? Would you shine a light in the darkness? Would you open up the hood of my life and take a look and feel free to point out or tinker with whatever's out of whack? Is that not a dangerous prayer? God, would you search me? I remember, uh, uh, I remember reading one time about a uh, famous sort of engineer in the 20th century, early part of the 20th century, worked for GE. His name was Charles Steinmetz. He was sort of a legend in engineering circles during his day. But after he'd retired, occasionally there would be things that would happen at GE that nobody else could figure out. And so they would call him in as a consultant to sort of do some work for him. And there was this one time when uh, they had an entire, uh, sort of an entire plant worth of machinery that had shut down. It was broken. There was nothing that could be done. And, uh, and all the engineers had tried everything they could think of. They had no idea on how to fix this. And so they call, uh, they call this guy up, Charles Steinmetz. He comes in, walks around the plant for about 10 minutes, <laughs> takes a piece of chalk out of his pocket, and marks an X on one specific piece of the machinery and walks out. <laughs> and uh, the engineers go in to where he had put the X. They tear it apart. Sure enough, that's what was broken. They fix that. The whole, the whole plant goes back online. Everything's working perfectly as it should. A little while later, he gets a, a bill from, uh, they get a bill from uh, Steinmetz in the mail. It's for $10,000, which this is like almost 100 years ago. Like that was huge money. And uh, the accounting department saw it. They kind of pass it around. They said, what in the world? They said, you better get an itemized bill. And so they, they, they're like, you're like 10 minutes. Like, what, what was the deal? So they send it back and said, um, could you sort of itemize it? Because that seems like a lot for, for what you did. And so he sent it back an itemized bill with two lines, two lines on it. And it said, uh, making one X mark, uh, $1. 
He says, uh, line two is, knowing where to put it, 9,999. <laughs> they paid the bill, right? But, but knowing where to put the mark, that's the deal, right? That's, that's the whole ball game. It's more of an art than a science, knowing where to put it. And to be honest, we don't know ourselves. We don't. Jeremiah put it this way in, in Jeremiah 17, 9. He says, the heart is deceitful. Your heart, my heart, it's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who of us can really know, I mean, our own motives? Who, who of us can really understand how much sin has tainted our hearts, right? How, how much sin has tainted our minds? How much sin has tainted our wills and our understanding? It's impossible for us to know where to put the X. That's why we need to be praying and going to God and saying, God, would you search me? Would you, would you turn your gaze on me? Would you cor- correct what's out of whack? On our own, we tend to deceive ourselves. We tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We tend to think that we have our stuff together. But really, God is the one that searches. God is the one that knows. I I shared uh, this before, but U.S. News and World Report a number of years ago uh, did a survey and uh, it was a survey uh, at the time of a bunch of popular or, or people that were in the headlines uh, in that day, people that were well-known. And they, they uh, did the survey and asked who uh, they thought had the highest chance, the, the biggest likelihood of ending up in heaven. And there were people like Mother Teresa, who was towards the top of the list. Uh, 79% of people thought, uh, you know, Mother Teresa uh, had a decent shot at of getting into heaven, which means I think 21% were great on a pretty hard curve, right? I mean, like, what in the world? Oprah came in next, just below uh, Mother Teresa uh, at 66%. Michael Jordan in that day, right, came in uh, uh, just a hair underneath Oprah at 65%. Colin Powell, 61%. O.J. Simpson was at the bottom of the list in that day. About 19% thought he had a decent shot of ending up there. But there was one vote getter that was even more popular, even stood a, a higher chance, people thought, of getting into heaven than all the others. One that was at the the very top of the list. Do you remember who this is? Me. Me. Me beat Mother Teresa 87% to 79%. Isn't that interesting? Now, just think with me. For those of you that may not be all that familiar with Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa was a nun who devoted her entire life to God and to serving the very least of these. She lived in the slums of Calcutta, India, taking care particularly of people that, uh, that had leprosy. People that, when she began, nobody else would go there because it was horrible. It was like the worst assignment ever. She built a thriving ministry to care for people that had nothing, that were at the end of their lives living in poverty and had a death sentence upon them. She gave her life to that. And, and we, as Americans, look at that and say, yeah, she might be okay, but I think I've got a much better shot, right? And my only point, <laughs> my only point in that is it's so easy to deceive ourselves. We tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, don't we? We say, man, I'm, I mean, I, I know my life isn't always that way, but I really mean well. I all, I mean, yeah, I'm generous and I'm good and I'm whatever, even if it doesn't make sense. We, we kind of think I've got it going on. But friends, the reality is we can be so deceived. No offense, but you're no Mother Teresa, right? And neither am I. And even admit, man, on her own, she was a wreck. She was a sinful human being, fully in need of God's grace through Christ. The heart 
the Bible says is deceitful, but where to put the X in our lives. A lot of times I don't. A lot of times we don't. And so we've got to ask God for help. God, would you search me? Would you shine a light on me? Would you bring your truth into my life? It's a starting place of transformation, friends. We don't experience life change without it. Search me. I think the other reason it's, it's probably a dangerous prayer for us and maybe we uh, are hesitant to pray it is because I think we're probably the least introspective generation in history and the most critical, the most defensive. We assume the best about ourselves. Like I said, we believe we're good. We believe I'm kind. I believe at my core I'm generous and humble and giving and godly even if my entire life, the, the way I actually live my life doesn't align with that at all. We tend to just believe that about ourselves and we never stop long enough to actually turn our own gaze inward and to see the truth about us. And so we just assume that we're good and we assume that other people aren't. We, if somebody dares to, to, to uh, suggest that we aren't what we portray or that we aren't what we think that we are, Man, we get upset. We, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I should go in this direction, but man, how, can we talk about Facebook? How often is that the case? We build teams, we blast, we, right? We just go off on people. We say horrible kinds of things to anybody that would dare suggest that we aren't what we want to be, right? Or what we imagine ourselves to be. And we never slow down enough to sort of ask ourselves the difficult questions. We never stop and let God or even ourselves shine that light inward and say, man, how is my heart? What is is the direction of my life? What, What is my character really like? Not what I just want it to be or hope it is, but what do my kids see? What do my, what does my spouse see? What do those around me really see in my life? This prayer sort of forces us to slow down and it invites the living God to come and to search and to shine a light on us and to speak the truth about us. So that's the first one. Search me. The second part of it is reveal my fears, he says. It says, test me and know my anxious or my fearful thoughts. What is it that makes you anxious? What is it that makes you afraid? I'm not talking about spiders and bats. Oh, I hate bats. I'm not talking about snakes or uh, the boogeyman or anything like that. But what is it that you're really afraid of on the inside? I mean, is it losing your job? Is it being a failure? Letting people down? Are you afraid of being alone? Being stuck in a loveless marriage? Afraid of the future? Afraid of losing somebody that you love? I thought Craig Rochelle had a really good point uh, as he was talking about this part of the verse. He says, it's often the things that we fear most that indicate where we trust God least. Isn't that good? He said, it's often the things that we fear most that are areas where we trust God the least. And you can see this in people's lives. I can remember uh, when we were in Wisconsin doing ministry there. There was a, uh, we did a series uh, called Fear Factor at the time, and we uh, spent, I don't know, six or eight weeks talking about people's fears and how to respond and that kind of stuff. And so uh, at the beginning of the series, we took a camera all around town and we interviewed uh, just regular people in our community and and asked them the question, what is it that you're most afraid of? And uh, we videotaped the answers and I was amazed. I was a little unprepared for how raw and vulnerable it was for people because you could see rise to the surface the things that were most 
most important to them uh, because, and that was often the things that they were most afraid of. And so I can remember there was this one guy, uh, was, he owned a restaurant, it was called Dairy Dean's, and he was, after all, Dairy Dean. He's a good Northeast Wisconsin guy. He's got, you know, he was a hunter and a fisherman and, a, uh, you know, it's a big, good old boy. I mean, he was just a great guy. And uh, I'll never forget because it was so uncharacteristic, but we got the camera on him. He's back there, you know, cooking stuff up in his kitchen. He stops for a second. He said, hey, what are you most afraid of? And, and tears start flowing instantly. And he said, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to die before my son has a chance to get to know me. And I, I, I was thinking of that this week and thinking, yeah, so often it's the things we fear most that reveal where we trust God the least. What, what was he struggling to trust God with, you think? What do you think? Son, right? Maybe his legacy, maybe his own uh, mortality, right? I mean, uh, kind of. There's something in there that it's revealing. It's kind of pointing to and saying, "Man, there's probably an area that he's struggling with there regarding uh, to trust God and in, in, uh, an area that he's doing that." But I think that's true for all of us, right? There's there's things that that bubble to the surface, things that stress us, things that we are fearful of and anxious about, that oftentimes that reveals, uh, you know, areas that we are struggling to trust God. For instance, if I'm afraid that my marriage isn't going to make it, I probably have to trust God with my marriage. If I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, I'm likely struggling to trust God as my provider. If I'm afraid that I won't be able to protect my kids or keep them safe, then maybe it's my kids that I'm struggling to, to sort of entrust into God's care. Or maybe you're afraid of you know, being inadequate or not feeling like you're enough, or maybe you tend to control all kinds of things. And the real issue is that you're not sure if you can really trust God to come through in your life. What you fear most reveals where you trust God the least. And if left unchecked, this, these fears can drive our lives in such destructive kind of ways. And so that's why we pray this dangerous prayer. God, would you reveal my fears? Would you test me and know my anxious thoughts? And as we start praying that, God starts pointing out where we, can, where we trust him least so that we can submit those things to him again, so that we can uh, start attacking those areas with his truth, with scripture, so that we can submit them to him again in prayer. 1 Peter 5.7 says this. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't that a great verse? Cast, I think it dovetails with this scripture so well as we say, God, would you test me and show me my, my anxious thoughts and things that I'm afraid of, the things that maybe I'm struggling to trust you with. And then the other one, the, the first Peter one says, would you cast your cares on him? It means literally to cast off, to throw down, to take this weight that's on your shoulders and just drop it before God. Say, God, would God, I, I can't carry this. I can't do this. So instead, we entrust it to you, God. Cast all your anxiety, your fears, your cares on him because he's crazy about you, because he's trustworthy, because he loves you, because he's good. So that's the second one. The third one is, is this. He says, uncover my sins. See if there is any offensive way in me. Verse 24 says, uncover my sins, David prays. See if there's any offensive way in me. Show me, God, anything that's going on in my life that's inconsistent with you or your truth. Show me anything that's displeasing to you. See if there's any offensive way in me. I mean, this is a dangerous prayer because we don't like to acknowledge the truth about us like we mentioned earlier. 
Cornelius Planiga has written a, a, a book on this subject, and he says this. This is one of his quotes. I thought this is great. He says, the awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated sin. They feared it. They fled from it. They grieved over it. A man who lost his temper might wonder if he was still able to go and take communion. A woman who for years envied her more attractive and intelligent sister might worry that the sin threatened her very soul. But in today's group confessionals, it's harder to tell. The newer language of Zion, of God's, of God's people, fudges, he says. Now, we don't talk a lot about sin. In fact, where sin is concerned, people mumble. I think, man, it's true, isn't it? We tend to look at our sin like, we tend to not want to look our, our sin in the face and instead we sort of call it by a different name or we ignore it or we mumble, we blame it on somebody else. Yes, I sinned, but it was their fault, you know, kind of thing. Or maybe we just dismiss it as okay. Well, it's not really sin. Like, even though God says it is, right? It's not really sin. But God cares too much about you and me to leave us stuck in those downward spirals. The Bible says sin is a huge deal. It is so destructive to our lives. It wreaks havoc in our relationships. It does damage to our souls, right? It does great damage to every relationship we have, to the whole world around us. Sin, the Bible teaches, brings destruction and pain and death into this world. Sin is the reason that Christ had to come and to die on the cross. Sin causes us to be separated from God. It brings division. It whittles away at our own soul until there's nothing left. It can keep you out of heaven without Christ. Sin is a huge deal according to the Bible. It's a killer of our spiritual lives. And so God says, instead, would you learn to pray? Would you invite me to uncover your sin? The stuff that is doing damage in your own soul. Would you open yourself up and say, God, would you come? Would you turn the light on me? And would you point out the imperfections? Would you point out the motives? Would you point out the actions? Would you point out whatever is going on in my life, in my soul, in all of me that's displeasing to you? Would you point out anything that's sin? Would you point out anything that's doing damage to my soul and to my relationship with you and others? And of course, it doesn't stop there, does it? Once God points it out, then he is quick to say, turn it over, right? Come confess it and be free from it. Again, sort of cast it down at the foot of the cross so that you can walk in freedom and new life. We need to pray this prayer to slow down and allow God to sort of point out our sin, allow God to point out that stuff that needs work, anything that is offensive to him. We need to point this stuff out. Uh, we need this stuff pointed out, I should say, uh, to us in our lives because oftentimes we just don't see it. One author I read this week said, we tend to accuse others but excuse ourselves. And I think that's true when it comes to sin. We let ourselves off the hook and we need God and we also need people around us, people that love us, people that have our backs, people that care enough about us that they can help us to see What's going on? It can even push on some things sometimes and say, you know what? I love you, but this is doing damage. Here's the truth 
about. It's one of the reasons why we as a church spend so much emphasis on growth groups, so, right? Saying, man, do we need other people around us that can help give us accountability, that can sometimes speak the truth in love to us, that can encourage us and pray with us, that can also just say, you know what? I'm in the same boat with you. I'm, I'm a wreck on my own. I'm a wreck and God's working on me and he's working on you too. Like, let's do this together. Let's lock arms and move forward together. I'll put in my shameless growth groups plug right here, right? But just, it's one of the reasons it's so important. If you haven't yet signed up for a group, we believe this is where life change happens. This is where transformation happens. When we can graciously and lovingly see the truth about ourselves, it frees us up, right? To become who God made us to be. And so if you're not in a group yet, we'd so encourage you to take that step and sign up before you leave today. But that's sort of at the heart of this prayer. Search me, reveal my, my fears, but then uncover my sins so that I can be free. Friends, we don't have to cover up our sins. We don't have to stick our heads in the sand and pretend like they're not there. We don't need to rename our sin or get defensive. We don't need to try to pretend that it's okay when it's not. But we don't need to do any of that stuff. Even if, you know, if we feel like it, it's attacking our being or our worth or our value or something like that, it's, it doesn't need to because the truth of the matter is is that on our own, our hearts and our lives, they are deceitful. We are a mess on our own. We are all wholeheartedly infected with sin. We're selfish creatures. And the truth is, is that God knows everything that you and I are. He knows everything that you and I have done. He knows everything that you and I have thought. Listen to this. But he loves you anyway. But he loves us anyway. The thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is grace. You know what grace is? It's undeserved. We don't deserve it. It's his love, his favor, and his forgiveness. The Bible says today is a day of grace. Today is a day of salvation. So when we are praying this prayer, God, show me my sin. Show, show, look under the hood, right? Search me. Point anything out that's, that's, un, you know, that's not in alignment with you. We don't have to be afraid. We, we are a we're approaching God as ones that are dearly loved, as ones that have forgiveness available to us. As soon as he shows it to us, we can confess it and be free and walk in a newness of life. It's the good stuff. I mean, really, this is, this is one of those practices. This is one of those sort of disciplines that if you're not practicing on a daily basis, I, I bet you don't, I bet you could stand to do it because there is freedom, there's lightness that comes as we, as we open ourselves up and God searches us, he points stuff out and we agree with him, right? And say, God, you're right. I totally blew that. I totally, whatever, right? I totally lied, I totally went down the wrong path in my brain. I totally envied. I totally gossiped. I totally whatever. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you wash me? Remove my sin as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says when we confess our sins like that, we are forgiven and free. Freedom in life begins when we quit pretending and we get brutally honest by inviting God to uncover our sins and then confessing them to him and receiving his grace and his forgiveness afresh. That's where the goodness, that's where the good stuff comes from. That's when the spiritual pipeline gets opened back up between us and God. 
His grace and his forgiveness is available afresh for you this morning. And it's, and it's available, the Bible says his mercies are new every morning, right? Each moment. So would you pray that prayer? Search me. Uncover the sin in me. Show me my fears, the areas that I'm not trusting you. And that leads us to the fourth one where he ends and says, would you lead me? And lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me. Friends, when we have the courage to pray, this kind of dangerous prayer, search me, God. You have permission to look and uh, deep into my deceitful heart and life and test me and reveal my anxious thoughts, the areas that I struggle to trust you. See if there's any offensive way in me. I'm not gonna point the finger at somebody else, God. I'm letting you put an X in my own soul, in my own life where I need it. Speak what I need to hear. And then finally, lead me and be my God. Transform me. And with your help, I wanna follow. It's sort of a declaration of need. It's a commitment to follow. Lead me according to your plans, God. Lead me according to your ways, God. Lead me according to your values. Lead me according to your kingdom. Have your way in me. I want to follow. I want to be your kid. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Friends, this is a prayer that can and will bring transformation into our lives. So like I said at the beginning, here's the application. It's not rocket science. Would you be willing to to mark this down in your Bible. It's two verses, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It's in the Ignite Church app under notes today, right? You can take it home and look it up tomorrow. Would you, would you mark it down? Would you open up your Bibles? Would you hit your knees today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and next Sunday? Would you pray it every day this week? And would you just open up your heart to God? Would you respond to what he shows you? And would you pray this? Would you pray, search me, God? Search me. Would you pray, God, would you know my heart? Would you test me and know my anxious thoughts? Would you reveal my fears? Would you uncover my sins? See if there's any offensive way in me. And would you lead me and I'll follow? Would you be willing to pray that with us? I think, I think God will do good work in our own hearts and our own souls as we follow his lead on that this week. With me? something we can all do, I think it'd be a great exercise and I think God could do cool stuff. Let me read it one more time and then I'll close this in prayer. He says, search me, God. Just close your eyes if you would. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. Father, that's our cry. That's our prayer this morning. We pray that you would turn your gaze on us. I pray that you would uh, do so to root out the junk and the stuff that we carry, the destructive forces in our lives, the lies the enemy has planted in us, the sin that so easily entangles. I pray that you would, you would turn your gaze on us, not to, to bring shame or guilt or whatever, but that you would turn your gaze on us so that we could be free so that we could know your smile on us, so that we could experience your spirit's power in us and your, your presence with us. I pray that we could know your great love and your great grace. I pray, God, that you would reveal and point out and bubble to the surface those areas that bring us fear and anxiety. And if there's something there, ways that we are not trusting, 
in you or not putting you first. God, I pray that you would, uh, you would make that clear that we could again um, offer those things to you, that we could again seek you, that we could again cling to your truth and your promises. Because within your will, there is nothing we have to fear. Nothing we have to fear. We pray, God, that you would uncover our sins so that we could walk in newness of life, so that we could experience moment by moment the waves of your grace and your forgiveness washing over us, cleansing us, and freeing us to become uh, men and women like Jesus, to to become the kind of men and women that you've created us to be. And God, I pray that you would lead us our God. Forgive us, God, for so often and so easily just going our own way and doing our own thing. We call ourselves Christ followers, but so often we just follow ourselves. So God, would you root that out and would you teach us to really be followers of Jesus, people who follow our God, who walk in your ways, who cling to your truth, and who delight to live in your kingdom. Sundays, but also at work and in our homes on Mondays and Tuesdays.